0: back to the Blushy Boys podcast. Blushyboys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Let's get the show underway. All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's been a little bit of a, a long off-season break here, but uh, we all had a good, t- good time taking some Taking some time for family stuff and holidays and vacations and whatnot. And the Tigers, of course, were not terribly active um, as, as per usual. Um, so we're back. Um, we've, got, we've got a little schedule developing uh, for the preseason here. And really, we're only, it's only about five weeks till pitchers and catchers report, Ashley. How's it going tonight?
1: I'm pretty good. It's my favorite time of year when, you know, it's, it's supposed to be Valentine's Day for some other people. Um, but my favorite time of year is that like February 12th to 14th period where pitchers and catchers finally report.
0: Yep. And when you have a, you know, when you have a bad team like this is this is when you can allow yourself, you know, to dream a little bit and to imagine like the Tigers somehow concocting a, a 500 season out of this. Um, I would just like to
1: see them not have one of the worst seasons in the history of baseball. That would be nice.
0: Yeah, that would definitely be an improvement because last year was certainly one of the worst seasons in the history of baseball. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was dicey, and I just before we like dive into things, I just want to bring up the whole Tiger Fest thing because oh, yeah. we're talking about things to look forward to in winter, and that is no longer one of them. Yeah, um, and I've obviously never been able to go to Tigerfest because I'm living in Canada, uh, and it would be quite a jaunt for me to go to Michigan in the winter. Which, I mean, anybody listening to this who's a native Michigander will surely understand why I wouldn't choose to leave. Already cold <laughs> Manitoba to spend part of a January in also cold Michigan <laughs> yep. standing outside in lineups. Um, but what do, what do you think? And here's, here's my take is that they decided to cancel it. Is, this is just total conjecture. I think they decided to just full on cancel it. And then Twitter being Twitter and, um, you know, Alavila having his secret Twitter burner account was like, oh, no fans actually liked this, even with our terrible team, what do we do? Cause we don't have time to put it on in winter and now they've rescheduled it for July.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: So that's a, that's a thing. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on this. I kind of liked Tiger Fest just because it was the first time to kind of see some of the new guys and you got to see pictures of everybody and it it felt like baseball was coming back around. So I looked forward to it for that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I
0: just don't really get it. Like, I, I don't know for sure if that's what happened. You know, um, you know, Tiger's PR is, is pretty adamant that, you know, they just were waiting to finalize plans and, you know, and we're just a little bit late with it. Uh, I mean, I don't really know, but the idea of having Tiger Fest in the summer you know, when there are already games going on is just odd. Like, there's, you know, what what are you celebrating? Like, the whole point in the winter is that you get, you know, a little bit of hype going for the season. You get to maybe meet, you know, one or two of the new players. You know, it sort of, like, sets people up. You know, I'm sure they, you know, that's when they sell a lot of their extra season ticket packages. You know, that's when the real hardcore, like, baseball families all come down. Because it's not... You know, it's not necessarily you or me. Like, we, we'd be the type, if you were nearby, where, like, you go one time, you experience it. You know, but maybe you don't want to wait in huge lines all the time. But for a family that's, like, a you know, an obsessive baseball family, that's who you see down there. Um, and, and they're the ones who, who love it. And you would think that having declared the rebuild kind of over, and that, okay, now it's not the rebuild over, but the teardown over. And, you know, now it's time to start building something. You signed a couple of free agents who were all reasonably you know, content with at least, Um, you could introduce those guys, you know, it gives you sort of an opportunity to hype the season. But when you move it to July, now you've got it at a point in the season where people are probably going to be frustrated with the team by that point, because you're going to have already watched, you know, three and a half months of bad baseball. Um, CJ Crone and Jonathan Scope and Austin Romine and all these guys aren't going to be, you know, new to anyone anymore. Um, We're not going to be able to imagine career best seasons and, and dealing them for something, um, you know, some of those guys might even be traded by that point. So it's just weird, like the idea that you know the only time they can do this is when there's a game. Um, there's not like a bunch of off days where the Tigers just happen to be in town with nothing going on. So no, it's true. So you have to buy a ticket to a game, I guess, and then maybe it's before the game. I haven't even like looked into it because the whole thing was so weird when they finally announced it that I just don't I don't understand the point of having Tiger Fest when we're all all already at the game. Like, I guess you get an opportunity to get a few autographs somehow. But how do you work that in with the day-to-day grind of, of the season? I don't know. The whole thing is odd. I, I really did think the whole thing was strange. I don't think your theory is baseless at all because you know the whole point of TigerFest seems to be completely undercut by putting it in the middle of the season after we're, you know, th- there's kind of no no reason left to hope at that point. Um, you know, we, we think the Tigers will be better next year, but, you know, the, the odds of the Tigers are even, like, you know, particularly interesting are, are still pretty slim and you're probably not going to have the prospects up. I and mean, that was the other thought was that this might be the year where, yeah, you, you know, maybe you fly Casey Mize and Matt Manning or something up here um, so people can see them and know that, you know, hey, at some point late in the season, if things are going well, you're probably going to see both of those guys. That's something to get excited about um, in the future. But, you know, in July, like, I don't really imagine either one of those guys is going to be up other than maybe to take a spot start if, you know, if we are, we're missing a starter as, as things are, presumably yeah. there'll be injuries, you know, presumably Jordan Zimmerman will be on, you know, who knows. Um. So somewhere on the bench at some point and <laughs> Yeah. So there's going to be starts to give out, but I don't think we're going to even have seen those guys yet and they're going to be in their season. And so you're not going to be able to bring prospects to it. I don't know. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up at all. Um. And like so much of the, of the public commentary from the Tigers, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it didn't seem very well communicated and yeah it, it just ended up making everyone almost as angry as they would have been if the Tigers hadn't announced it would be in July anyway so they didn't even get the benefit of diffusing the the frustration from a lot of people who are used to going and doing that with their kids every every winter as a you know midwinter thing where they look forward to spring so I don't know yeah the whole yeah, the whole thing was weird it's
1: super strange because I remember last year being like, that was my opportunity to be like, hey, this Jordy Mercer guy, he's really well spoken and he's got the right attitude and he's going to be a guy that gives really good sound bites after games. Like we had the same thing. We didn't have any expectations of the, the season, but we're like, okay, hey, who are these new guys? And And I remember being really impressed with Mercer and you're right though. But if it happens the same day as a game, it's either going to happen after the game and people will be grumpy because they probably lost. Or before the game, and then you'll have a bunch of guys who don't particularly want to sit around signing autographs for hours when they should be getting ready to play. Yeah, no one does that.
0: That never happens. There's never, like, a meet-and-greet before a baseball game. Exactly. (laughs) Unless it's with retired
1: guys, right? So, like, is that what Tiger Fest is going to be this year? A bunch of retired Tigers coming out for the meet-and-greets? Like, I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense.
0: I mean, I think the only way to kind of redeem it in the summer is to not worry so much about the current players and bring in, like, Alan Trammell, and, you know, and and maybe and have Kirk Gibson there and have Lou have Lou Whitaker there and have it all be part of the celebration for Lou Whitaker and maybe maybe in some way that's how it how it all work out. Um, I didn't look at the date and I didn't look at the date of when uh, you know the the retiring Lou's number thing is supposed Lou's to go down. Lou is being
1: retired August 29th,
0: I believe. So it's still like a month after that. Yeah, I don't know. Like I thought maybe they were that's what I had in the back of my mind is like maybe they're going to tie it in with that somehow but yeah, I don't know. It was it's just Strange. And I mean, it's just Tiger Fest. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world, but the people who go to Tiger Fest and I, this is what I was yelling about on Twitter was that those are the people who are your hardcore fans and the fans who, you know, are, are your future fans. Those are the, Mm -hmm. you know, the tight knit baseball families where all the kids play baseball or softball and, you know, are obsessed with the Tigers and get really excited to meet the Tigers. And those are the people that you're fan servicing here. And yeah, I just don't see how that can happen in the same way in the summer at all. So, yeah. Whereas the rest of us, you know, angry, you know, grouchy, older individuals, like, you know, we don't, we're not going to Tiger Fest probably anyway, that, that, you know, we're not, at least we're not upset if it's not there, but yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like a, a bad vibe and a, and a bad way to sort of undercut what could have been an opportunity to pitch that, you know, this is it's the beginning of the new era. Um, and instead we're all just gonna, you know, kind of sit around until mid, mid February, which isn't too far away, but, uh. But yeah, I don't know. it just it just didn't make a lot of sense to me in any in any way there There are a few things to sell, but then again, we have Tigers general manager Al Avila come out today, and basically, oh boy, yeah, I mean it's not that he attacked the fan base necessarily, but he kind of like blamed the rebuild on the fan base, like you know there was here's the quote there was a lot of push to blow this up and start all over again, and we did and now it's like, well, you shouldn't have done that or let's speed it up and yeah. That's exactly that's exactly how we feel. <laughs> you know, everybody understood that it had to be blown up. The question is like why did it take you, you know, 3 years as GM to start, you know, kind of modernizing the organization and then when you did start tearing down, the deals didn't go that well. And now here we are like a couple years later and yeah, the farm system is good now, but considering all the all the assets we had to trade away, the fact that we haven't traded any prospects away in, you know, 5 drafts basically now. Yeah. Um, the, that's not a very good, good track record on the farm system. Anybody can get good by just being bad, you know, forever, but we're not even like great this isn't even a stacked farm system yet. You know, we're still like desperately looking for position players somewhere. It's like Isaac Prades and Riley Green and, you know, a hope and a prayer. And, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll pitch everyone to death, but it just seems like they have like this window right now where not only do you have all these good young pitchers coming and we do have a ton of them that they also still have Boyd, they've still got Norris, and we'll see what Fulmer comes back like. And they've got, you know, five more seasons of Spencer Turnbull. And, like, if you could make the interplay of having all that pitching work and maybe, like, trade someone away, like Boyd or whatever, that's the time to go. But instead, it feels like by the time, you know, they start getting the bats together, you know, Boyd, Norris, Fulmer will already be gone. You know, Spencer Turnbull will be 30 almost by, you know, by 2023 or 22 when it looks like, you know, you'd expect riley green to, to start making an impact so yeah i don't know like the the timing still looks bad the the sense of urgency is bad we still aren't making yeah. any trades and you know when a team doesn't make trades i worry about that like the, the fact that we that the, you know this front office just doesn't trust itself to to trade anybody away um because they're afraid of them you know biting them on the backside and, and it, you know and it's like yeah signing jonathan scope is fine but why wouldn't you be scouring all the, you know, the teams with low payrolls who have our eligible guys that they probably don't want to pay and, you know, and just flip a cheap prospect for, for someone like that. Uh, I'll still go back to Travis Shaw, because that's still pissing me off. No, <laughs> oh, I know. You were really on that one. Uh, I just think he's going to come back and have a big season. And I know he didn't want to come here as a free agent. You know, the Tigers apparently said they were interested in, and checked in with him, or at least someone reported that. I think it was maybe Mr. Fennec. But um but the the fact remains that they had released him. So, you know, there was an opportunity before that when you'd think they were shopping him or you'd think the Tigers would be calling around to people like, "Hey, you know, are you guys thinking of keeping this player?" I don't know. You know, you, you got to be more aggressive than this. They're, they're just it just doesn't feel like they're doing that much or talking to that many teams. And then we have the you know the Pittsburgh you know Pirates pipeline rears its ugly head again, and it's like a carousel more like like it just goes round and round and round. Uh, yep, yep. We bring Mr. Prince over from from the Pirates to take over at Toledo, and then probably because Mike Ribbello is, is rather frustrated because he sh- you know w- was thought to be in line to move up, he decides to to bail out and head over to. Pittsburgh and now he's their hitting coach. Um,
1: assistant hitting coach, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um this, which is such a funny move.
0: <laughs> this incestuous relationship <laughs> yeah, I, between two teams and organizations that aren't good is uh is is pretty low rent. It's it's disturbing. I think my favorite thing about
1: that move is that somebody in our chat pointed out like why would you pick a catcher to be here? yeah hitting coach um learned a thing too down there but i did think that was pretty funny
0: yeah i mean my only... catchers
1: are always managers everybody knows that right. <laughs> anybody who's
0: managing in baseball's been a catcher at some point right and there's always the you know those who who can't do end up teaching you know kind of yeah. kind of thing a little bit i mean i guess if you're the catcher you're better at preparing guys for how you're going to be pitched but yeah, yeah you would think you want you would want someone with more of a track record um but maybe again the pirates like Mike Rebello and view him as future manager material or something. And they don't really care necessarily in what capacity he's working for them at this point. They just,
1: no, I'm, I'm sure he'll just move back to the
0: tiger's org at some point point somehow seems yeah. to just be the way things go. Yeah. They'll swap him back over there. Yep, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that relationship continues with, uh, with Ben Charrington as the GM over there now. Cause that's, that's a different lineage and, and sort of the old Neil Huntington group is, I assume mostly purge or will be before two months. Oh so, yeah. So maybe that'll change things, but yeah, I don't know.
1: On, on the plus side, maybe this means we'll have Guillermo Heredia in about three years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's got, that's something to look forward to guys. When we're in contention again, we'll have an aging out once good
0: player. Yeah. Yeah, and to, and to just pivot back to a little bit more of Avila's quotes, you know, everyone wants to write something or do something that people feel good about and makes them happy, so I'd love to make everyone happy, but unfortunately this process is what it is, and we've got to see it through, yada, yada. Um, you know, I have to stay focused and not let a lot of these negative vibes affect my thinking cause if it, because it could, and I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in different places, and it just makes it worse. You can't go from the bottom to the top that quickly. It's a process, etc., etc. It's a process, you know, so... Stick with the process. Um, but yeah, but well, it's just such BS because, yeah, we've seen teams, you know, turn things around faster than this already, you know. Well, let's
1: look at the White Sox. Yeah. The White Sox are doing some deeply interesting things and they're on about the same trajectory of a rebuild as the Tigers are. So, I mean, they just signed what? They signed Edwin and Encarnacion just yesterday, I think. Yep. And like, they're, they're, Making some very interesting moves this offseason that suggest to me that they're interested in competing this year. Because they're looking at a team like Cleveland who isn't spending. They're looking at, you know, the guys who've been leading the top of the pack for a while. They're looking at the Royals who aren't going to do anything. They're looking at the Tigers who are going to suck. And they're saying to themselves, okay, it's us and the Twins. And they're not wrong because the Twins are the only other team in the division doing anything interesting.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, we don't know and, what's going on with Cleveland. Like, you know, I mean, there, there's still chatter about trading Francisco Lindor. So and if they did that, you know, you'd kind of assume that's, that, just, that's just a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Twins term. are
1: still, I think, in on the rumor mill on Donaldson. Um, so, I mean, there's there's room for some very interesting play in the Central. It just won't be the Tigers, unfortunately, because, I mean, Al can say all he wants that, you know, fans are being, you know, they're not understanding how it works and they're being unrealistic, but I don't think fans are being unrealistic for starters. The only job of a fan, like not us, not a people writing about baseball, not, you know, analyzing every move of baseball. The only job of a fan is to enjoy the team and cheer for the team. And fans want to cheer for a winning team. So pretty naturally the biggest spenders and the ones who want to buy those tickets and the ones who are going to be there day after day. Yeah. I think it stands to reason that they're going to be annoyed and frustrated and vocal about that frustration because they're not getting the one thing that they want out of the team, which is fun winning baseball. So I think he's mistaking analytical analysis from writers with the voice of fans. And that's a mistake right up front because our job is to call him on his bullshit. And it is to come out and say, yeah, Al, okay, you promised one thing, but this is what you're delivering. And the teardown, 100%, you nailed that part. The rebuild is where we're a little bit annoyed with things.
0: Yeah, yeah. And even in, with the teardown, like a, as it pertains to, to actually get him better, they didn't they didn't do that particularly well. I mean, you know, th- there were certainly tough circumstances, um, you know, that made getting what you would want for a Justin Verlander or a J.D. Martinez you know, tougher than it, than it might otherwise be. And, you know, and they've done okay on some of their smaller deals. Um, you know, the, the Justin Wilson trade looks good. I like who they got for, for Shane Green, um, the Nick Castellanos thing, they, they botched in my estimation and it doesn't really matter that they didn't get much because they weren't going to, but yeah, you can't point to it like, Oh, well, you know, this is the process and we're, we're doing great. And so there can be no criticism of, you know, of how the actual process has gone. Um, you know, that's a simplistic way of putting it. And to take that tack when you're, you know, when you're kind of fighting back and, and yelling at the fan base, like, hey, you guys need to just sit back and, 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 you know, give this the time it takes to roll out. Yeah, it just doesn't fly. And you're right. I mean, fans don't have to, you know, don't have to put up with that. They can feel however they want to. And for for the rest of us, I feel like we've been pretty fair. And yet every time Elavila comes out and talks about this, there's a lot of woe is me involved. And there's a lot of, you yeah. know, you know, kind of fighting back, like, oh yeah, that's this is hard. You know, it's really hard for us to hear the criticism and we don't like it. Well, yeah, that's on you, baby. You know, that's a hard job well, and go do something about it. But you know, we we don't do very much. It's it's been a very, very careful, you know, timid sort of rebuild where they didn't they haven't made any major moves. They haven't, you know, taken any chances. They haven't acquired still any young talent that is playing at the major league level yet. That is, you know, more than like a wing and a prayer. You know, like yeah, this guy should be useful, but is any are any of these guys going to be good? It doesn't seem that way, um, and and that leaves us still a long way, you know, a long way behind the pack. And like you said, you know, the, the White Sox, that you know, they are probably two years ahead of us because of and and because they traded Chris Sale when they did and made that decision. Then they got a better prospect haul, you know, than than we did for Verlander. Um, even assuming Verlander, you know the pieces we got there had had really worked out the way we would want. So I understand they're ahead, but you you know you, you look at yeah, I mean they they've got Yoan Makata. they've got two power hitting, really good corner outfielders in Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. They've got a bunch. Jim Anderson. A, yep, they've still got a bunch of pitching too. It's not like they're you know they're only on one side of things the way we are. So yeah, I mean. Anything could happen, and I've tried to give them the benefit of the doubt from the from the fact that a couple big moves could really could really change things. Um, and we do have a lot of good pitching coming, and if they can find a couple bats and then invest a little bit of money, you know, we might get ourselves to where okay, you know, we're an eighty one win team now, and you can start start trying to figure out how to piece this together to get uh, to get to the top again. But yeah, it just still still feels like that's you know that's a couple years away, and that's going to leave us losing a lot of of the pitching count that we actually have already on the staff before we get the next group in um it's, it's hard to do it when you're not bringing a whole bunch of guys you know to the majors all within like a two three year period um and we're already kind of through the first year of them you know bringing up some prospects so you know by next by the end of next year are we going to be stacked and a bunch of these pitching prospects working out like that's that's all you know conjecture and probably not. That's that's not usually the way it goes. It usually takes guys a little bit longer until they're their mid twenties until they kind of blossom as pitchers or late twenties in many cases. So yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is is just frustrating. But I I just wish Al Avila would just stop talking about that this subject or putting it this way because it just feels like he's just lashing out and and you know and pinning us on the fans for not being reasonable enough with him.
1: Yeah, and it's especially frustrating because I think it was two years ago, right around this time, he sent a letter to season ticket holders where he was just like, bear with us, guys. We're going to do things, and it's going to be exciting, and we promise you we know it's not you know, the best situation right now, but stick it out and stick with us. And people took him at his word, and they continued to buy those season tickets. And I feel like those are the fans who are probably the angriest because can you imagine taking his word two years ago and being like, all right, they're going to try. They're going to try. I'll keep buying these several thousand-dollar season tickets that I've got and going last year yeah. to those 81 home games, like, no wonder people are mad. And I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, oh, the selections of, you know, prospects and who they picked up in the offseason free agent market. I think these fans are like, I'm taking my family to see games and I want to see winning games. And you are giving me garbage. Like, yep. I, I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. And I don't think he sees the
0: distinction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're. It's not on the fans to to understand all that, and I and I do think that a lot of those same fans, you know, are smarter than he gives them credit for, and also can look at the farm system and say, like, yeah, you know, it's a lot better than it was, but it's still a long way from being, you know, where it would need to be to to kind of produce like this homegrown, you know, winning team, and and they know deep down that unless you know a couple of you know real surprises happen that we're probably still, you know, two drafts and a bunch more trades from getting to that point. And again, like I said that that turns that cycle over where yeah, you know, by that point you've already lost the the few talented younger players that we have on the team now and it just makes it all harder. So yeah, I mean I think people, you know, on one hand aren't obligated to understand that or put up with too much more of it because it was it was, you know, historically bad last year. It wasn't just like Yeah, I mean, I know we're not very good, but, you know, you just got to hang in there with us. It was like, this is trash. Um, Why is anyone being forced to pay for this? And then he also threw out the thing about, you know, we didn't, let's see, I know a lot of people last year said, bring up Jake Rogers. We want to see Jake Rogers. Well, we should have just left him. For me, that was one area where I was like, yeah, okay, that wasn't good. We've got to fix that. Well, yeah, you're right. You probably shouldn't have brought up Jake Rogers. Jake Rogers, like we all wanted, should have been up in September, but what you did was ignore Ashley all last off season and myself, <laughs> and didn't sign a catcher. Like how could you drop the ball that badly on you know on a catcher and then it's like and then kind of put it on the fans like it was it was them begging yeah, for Jake well, Rogers. You... We were only calling for Jake Rogers because you didn't have fuck all at that position and one of the most crucial positions on the field.
1: Well, not to mention he could have brought Jake Rogers up and also picked up a veteran catcher to platoon together, as opposed to expecting Rogers and Griner to be like this dream duo. Yeah, like and, and ha- bring has- Rogers up and have him as the backup. Like, ugh.
0: yeah, it's just frustrating, and and it's just it doesn't strike me that he really has a good idea what's going on because this doesn't this isn't even good bullshit. You know, if Mm-mm. this was like high quality, like you know, laser guided bullshit. I'd be like, you know, he really, he really does kind of understand, you know, what's going on and, you know, it's, is piecing, you know, piecing his responses together really carefully. I mean, the, the, it just feels like, you know, just someone caught him on a bad day and he's just being cranky. Um, you know, so he,
1: he does this, he does this thing where he is too honest. I think he's, he's so candid, bless his heart. Um, that I think that every time he says something in a public venue, the entire Tigers PR team probably just wants to start crying.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, I do imagine they, they probably, you know, roll their eyes a lot and like, oh, geez, here we go. crisis. Al's management, at
1: it again. Crisis management assemble. Also, yeah. one of them needs to uninstall Twitter from Al's phone. I'm sorry if he has a burner account and he's out there reading this much stuff that fans have to say. Of course, it's going to get to his head. Nobody should read what people have to say about them
0: on Twitter. Yeah, I don't really know what good it does him to to you know be tied into the pulse. You know um, that there's the only reason to read that stuff is so that you can be defensive about it. Um, you know, I'm, how how much do you have to read to be aware that no one is happy <laughs> yet? I know. And, and they're, they're never
1: happy. That's the thing. There's never sure. going to be a time when all the fans are like, oh, yes, Alavila, this is the greatest thing you've ever done. You are the greatest general manager of all time. Alavila forever built him a statue. That kind of praise doesn't exist in a platform like Twitter, which is built as a screaming ep- echo chamber of hatred. Like it,
0: it, it also doesn't exist in in baseball fandom. Like no. There's nobody out there who raves about their GM until they win the World Series. Um, you know, I mean, we, have listened to our buddy Jake, um, who writes about the Red Sox, you know, and, and he's just in a frenzy, you know, like this whole off season. And it's like, you guys just won a world series two years ago. Baseball fan sports fans are never happy. They're never going to be happy mm. with you. They're not, you're never going to get like tons of love letters. Like that has nothing, nothing to do with, you know, with what he should be thinking about. Um, but yeah, he, he just feels the need that, you know, at least twice a year to address this and. To complain, you know, that people are, you know, not patient enough with him and, you know, and and basically making it sound like all the criticisms about him are, you know, ridiculous because he comes at it with, you know, an entire army of straw men every time. So, yeah, not great. Not great stuff. I mean, at the end, I don't care. Do the job and, you know, we'll write nicer things about you and, Mm -hmm. you know, and be happy to do so. but we haven't even really started to attack. You know, there are, there are plenty of other people out there who think that we're way too, you know, way too lenient on the Tigers. So as long as we're kind of in the in the middle there, I, I feel relatively comfortable that we're critical in a pretty thoughtful way and understanding the unique challenges that he had when he took the, you know, took the job. But, you know, that doesn't just give you this random immunity, um, especially mm-hmm. when you're managing a base or running a baseball team. Like, it's just never going to be the way it is, dude. So, Yeah. I know you're going to have to go home and, you know, I don't know, maybe, uh, I shouldn't even say this, but yeah, I don't know. Is the fam not giving you enough love at home? You need to see your grandkids more <laughs> often. That's why you should have brought Alex Avila back.
1: Should have. Yep. You get those grandkids hug- giving you hugs, making you feel good.
0: Yep, yep. That would have, uh, you know, that would help. Because, yeah, it's just, you know, that's just the way it is. It's a lonely job, but, you know, the dude's been in the game for 30 years. He knows this. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's turn to what they actually did do, because, you know... This is all just stopgap measures, and I've seen people saying, and I understand why they say this, but like, hey, they finally spent some money, but, you know, of course the fact is they didn't really spend any money. What they did was just, you know, not let the payroll go any further. You know, they, they reinvested Nick Castellanos yeah. and, say, Blaine Hardy and a couple other guys who would have been arbitration-eligibles money, and the payroll isn't going to go up, basically, at all, unless unless they surprise the hell out of us and sign Marcelo Zuna, Bleak. Yeah, Bleak. or Yasiel yeah, Um, or, I mean, or it would, it would be hilarious. And I, and I would, I would still love it if they ended up back with Nick (laughs) somehow. Oh my God. He wouldn't, he hated it so much last year. You could see it. Yep. I have to, I have to think that is an impossibility, but the thought of it all just pivoting back around and then being like, Hey buddy you know, we still love you. You know, we just needed to get a couple prospects for you. And, you know, now we're willing to make an offer and, you know, we want you to lead the team for the next five five years (laughs) would be, would just be amazing. I would just love to see the reactions and how it all went down. But I mean, would you say that you think the Tigers are basically done at this point?
1: I think so. I mean, of course, I would love to see a Puig signing, you know, bolster the outfield, a very small part of me would like to see if maybe they can get somebody in another starting position, like starting pitcher position, um, but I don't see them doing that. Um, they might surprise us with one more, but I think you're right. I think they've looked at it and they're like, we're in the black. We don't have to worry about spending more. We're not, you know, doing nothing. This is enough to appease everybody. Um, I, I don't know that we're going to see any more moves unless it's so that they can get guys like they just picked up a catcher from what the Brewers on a minor league deal he's hess
0: yeah is it hess or hot ha- I think it's Eric Haas, but he's uh yeah Haas? from the from the Cleveland Indians yep oh thank you, yes um and so
1: um you might see a couple more signings like that like direct to minors guys that they think they might be able to get some value out of at some point. um I don't think we're gonna see any more interesting like forty man like ready for the big league's ready kind of guys
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's possible like you know that sometime in the next you know, a couple weeks. Like when you get into February, they might pivot back on, on someone who's still available, and and make one more low level move. But yeah, I mean, I think it, for the most part, this is where we're at. So, so we we've signed CJ Crone for six point one million dollars to play first base next year. Jonathan Scope six point one million dollars to play second base. Austin Romine, what was it four million something to play to four five, I think. Yeah, that sounds right to be the catcher. Um, so you've got those guys, you know, they picked up Zach Godley, um, who was was a reasonably successful starter with the Arizona Diamondbacks before losing the plot. He's a guy who's kind of low stuff. I, I don't really know how that's going to work out. Um, but they've got him. It still does feel like they're going to need a starting option. But I, what it all comes down to is that they, they did what they at least needed to do in that they filled the positions they don't have any young talent to try there. Like I can understand them not getting a right fielder because at some point you've got to make a decision on guys. You know, we've only had Travis Demerit a short time, but you're not just going to hang on to him forever. You know, they need to play him. They need to play Victor Reyes. You know, they need to play those guys. They might may, maybe they want to give Jorge Bonifacio um, a look if, if he gets out to a good start. So that's fine. They're going to play Nico at shortstop. Third base is going yeah. to Jamer Candelario and maybe some Lugo until um, Isaac Prades gets here. So at least at the positions they didn't fill, there are guys that they want to try. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it's possible shortstop could be a disaster if Nico got hurt or something, because I don't really know if there's any anyone can't. Any real backup that. options? Yeah, I mean, Jordy, I mean got Like Jordy Mercer is still out there and uh yeah, I know a couple people think like, oh there's they they love Jordy Mercer. They wanna bring Jordy Mercer back so bad as a as a team leader. And um uh, and that's you know, that that kind of thing is certainly possible because they don't really have another shortstop and if they could get Jordy Mercer to sign a minor league deal and overpay him to get him to do it then he's your Pete Cosma now you know then he's he's the guy who you can call up if you need him and he can be down there mentoring some of the young guys so I don't know that maybe something like that will happen but yeah I think as far as consequential moves I would agree that we're about at a at an end yeah
1: I think it's uh it's all smooth-ish sailing into spring training from here
0: yeah and as we've seen the last couple years, you know, the free agent class, I think, from the outside looks the way free agency went this offseason looks probably different. Like, oh, i see all that complaining, you know, all that concern about, you know, players not getting what they're worth. You know, that was all a bunch of nonsense. But the fact remains like it basically played out. It just happened faster this year. Um, it feels like teams have just cut and, and players and agents have just sort of adjusted to the situation because nothing has changed for the, you know, the the, the decent you know, to average veteran players, like they're, they're still not getting paid, you know, what they were three, four years ago in relation to the market. And that's probably never not ever going to change. So I think some of that critique, like, oh, see, everybody's signing, you know, everything is fine. Free agency is, is, is not in any kind of trouble, I think, is, uh, is just kind of being overblown in reverse on that one. So a little bit reactionary, but there will always be some guys available in February and March. There will be cuts made. Um, the roster will still change a bunch at the at the back end, so we'll we'll see how that goes. I think, like for me, the, the one thing that frustrates me about the signings, and I love getting C.J. Krohn, I was actually surprised that that C.J. Krohn was willing to come here, is that they didn't is that they didn't get him for a couple years. Um, C.J. Krohn, is yeah. a good, he's a good hitter. Uh, he had a really good year last year, and that was with a strained ligament or tendon in his thumb that was. That kind of hampered him in the middle of the season for um, for a couple weeks at least, um, if not, you know, kind of, kind of bothering pretty much most of the rest of the way. He's a guy who could break out and have a really big big season. He's pretty high up there in the exit velocity charts, hits a lot of fly balls, but has actually kind of moderated his approach to hit more a little bit more of a line drive approach the past few years, which the Tigers would love. So, I don't know, he's a guy that I think we might regret not having signed for a little bit longer term because we still don't have anybody in the farm system um, who looks anything like a a legit first baseman. And yes, Brian Packard stands. Yes, Brian Packard could work out, but he's still a long way away. So, yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting move. I mean, I, of course, remember Crone from his time with the Rays um, where he was pretty solid. I mean, the Rays have never had a really terribly exciting first baseman. But as it went, he did great, and it gives us a chance to kind of pull Miggy back and have him focus on being more of a DH role. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a good play.
0: Yep, yep, I think so too. He should be, uh, he should be quite useful. And the the thing is that they also kind of, at least this time, they spread it around a little bit so that you know, the money that was Nick Castellanos' money now occupies three positions where we were terrible last year, and at least kind of, kind of bolsters them a little bit, so that there's a little bit more just a little bit more depth in the lineup and the roster overall. And if a couple of the younger guys like Kristen Stewart, you know, does what they're supposed to, if, if Jamer Candelario can, you know, finally pull it together a little bit, um, the offense could actually be, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of, of like being able to see average, like just over the next hill. So I don't know that that's at least for now, kind of what we're going to have to deal with. Um, There wasn't any way they were going to turn this thing around, obviously, last season, this season, or next season, or the season beyond. So we're still in the thick of this thing. But um, yeah, at least the team should be more watchable and has a chance to if things break the right way with the pitching to actually be maybe a 70 win team. I certainly am not going to guess that they'll win 70 games. But you know, the range on these things, especially with a bunch of young players is, is pretty wide. And yeah, it's not impossible that they could, you know, rip off a bunch of wins, get lucky a little bit, and and put together a halfway decent first half. Um, and then, you know, you would assume they'd fade down the stretch, but by then we'll be seeing some of the young pitchers, and that'll be fine. Something um, to look forward to, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think it's better. You know, like, like, this season is setting up to be a a lot more entertaining. Like, nothing could be worse than last season, I don't, I can't even <laughs> imagine. But it is setting up to, like, that this season should be much more watchable and fun for fans, at least. Um, but it's only because our our standards are now you know completely just rotted through into the gutter. <laughs> it's very true. It's like what was it? Yeah, two years ago,
1: and when, when Rally Goose happened, that's oh, really God. all it takes for us, right? A wayward Canada Goose <laughs> hitting yeah. the field, and we're like, this is the best team ever.
0: Yeah, yeah. We've tried like hell to enjoy this team, like you know. So yeah, take that, Alavila. Screw you, buddy. We're trying. <laughs> we, we we've been trying. <laughs> You know, we're scraping the barrel, man. Give us a little something. Yep. Yeah. I mean, any little thing, you know, we've uh, we've. I mean, we're to the point where we have to kind of like celebrate when we trade someone away and like watch how they do and like, oh, good job, Nick. We're happy for you. Like, yeah, when you're at that point, it's it's pretty brutal. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I'm hoping I'm, I'm hopeful. You know what? I know it's not going
1: to be a great season, but it will have to be, I think, better than last year. And I think that it's it's an opportunity to kind of see we have a guy for every position and, like, a set guy for every position, which I think is going to be really interesting to watch as long as it lasts. Yeah. Um. And I'm, I'm hopeful. I think it might be watchable.
0: Yep. Yep. And more interesting. Yeah. You know, we've got a couple of guys who could break out. Like, I'm still going to, you know, be standing here telling everyone that Daniel Norris is going to have... A better year next year <laughs> and, um, you know, build on what he did last year and, and finally become the above average starting pitcher he was back in 2016, um, late in the year anyway. So, you know, there's, there's that. There's the, the prospect. Still, I'm
1: still a Jake Rogers true believer, so
0: I've still got that to look forward to. Yeah, last year said nothing to me about Jake Rogers at all. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, you, you can pretty much just forget what you saw from him and Willie Castro, except as a reminder, if you thought for whatever reason that those two guys were like really high end prospects, you now realize that they're not, that they're, they're guys who are, you know, more suited to be backup players. Um, and we have to just see if they can, you know, if they can build from there and, and take the next step. So, but neither one of them was really ever billed as anything more than that, at least not by, by our prospect coverage. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll just have to see, but yeah, there's uh, there's at least the makings of a, of a more entertaining roster. And a more um, psychologically astute roster, perhaps, because the Tigers have also brought back another old friend, uh, Mr. Alex Wilson, who has been gone for a year. Um, it feels longer than that um, because of how long last season was. But oh uh, but it was good to see the, you know them bring Alex Wilson back, and it was really interesting. You don't usually hear much from Alex Wilson. Like he wasn't a big talker um, in in most of his time here. But when he was when he did have something to say, um, it was usually pretty insightful. And so yeah, it was it was pretty interesting to learn that last year while he was in the Brewers organization and then kicking around in Triple A, that he went back and, and finished. I believe he finished his graduate degree in psychology, didn't he? Man, good for him. That's crazy. Yep, and now he is uh, he is set up to be the bullpen psychologist, as he was joking. <laughs> that he was I mean, correct. they they
1: could probably use all the mental help they can get down there. They, you know, get the yips, chase those away, give them a little bit of advice on on whatever. But, yep. Uh,
0: yeah, I like yeah. this, because he's going to be in Toledo, and obviously Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tark Skubel, Alex Fayedo, all these guys are going to be at Toledo. Bo Burrows is still at Toledo. And so those guys are all going to be able to pick his brain you know, somewhat as well. And he did a little interview, I, I can't remember if it was, maybe it was with Intentional Talk on MLB, but it wasn't with Chris Russo. It was, it was someone I'm not even that familiar with. Um, it's on the Tigers' homepage. Um, there's a little video clip. But yeah, he was talking about how last year... You know some of the prospects in the Brewer system started coming up to him because they knew he had experience, and you know, kind of asking him about things like how do you how do you prepare for this, and what's it like when you know when we're traveling and you're on a you know a super long road trip flying around like what you know what do you do for that, and how do you prepare yourself to come into a major league game under all that pressure, and uh, and so yeah, that seemed to actually pique his interest, and um, you know Alex Wilson is a is a hunting. Fishing, you know, grilling meat sort of fella, but he's also mm-hmm. quite quite cerebral, um, and maybe you you wouldn't necessarily think that of him because he's such a kind of a, a gritty, tough guy type character. Um, this is a dude who tried to pitch after um, a guy broke his leg with a with a comebacker, and then he got back up on the mound and tried to throw another pitch with a broken leg. Oh yeah, God
1: bless him. Yep,
0: yep, he's a beast. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That, that's kind of cool, and uh, I would assume that at some point Alex will will get himself back up here, um, and and we'll get get to you know at least see him see him throw a little baseball for us. Um, even though he never really quite developed, man, he got by on toughness. Like he just never. It was always waiting for him to develop that breaking ball again, and it just never came. It was just always fastball cutter. Uh, and he could make that work and, and induce a lot of weak contact. So, yeah, there's there's stuff about pitchability that, that a guy like Alex Wilson knows, and hopefully he can impart some of that as well. Yeah, it seems like it's – I
1: mean, he, he was never a terrible reliever, and so I'm happy to have him back. He's definitely not one of those ones where I would be like, ooh, Tigres, really? That's the choice we made? Um,
0: yeah, so he yeah. sort of like – Sort of like Blaine Hardy. Like, man, yeah, he didn't quite have the same highs and lows as Blaine Hardy. He was a little bit more just steady in the middle. Never really flashed enough potential to get too excited about. But, uh, but just a just a tough, you know,
1: a well, nice chug along, reliable kind of guy.
0: Yeah, the type of guy you kind of need. Uh, you know, you need one of at least in the in the majors to kind of hold things together for you in the bullpen and take spot starts and do all that for you. <laughs> the
1: kind of guy who's not going to give you a drinking problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Guy who's going to, at least for at very least he's to go out there and throw strikes and exactly <laughs> take, take his chances like a man. Um, let's see. Yeah. Okay. And then I wanted to bring this up. We don't have to talk too much about the juice baseball, um, uh, because so much has been written already this off season and past seasons. Uh, but everyone's, um, favorite and most illustrious, um, fan poster, Dan Dickerson, Voice of the Tigers rolled in with a a, a, a real opus about the uh, the league's struggles to recapture its credibility in the wake of the, you know, the juice ball. I don't know if I'd call it a scandal necessarily yet. There's sort of no scandal because there isn't necessarily someone to blame. But it's, you know, at this point quite obvious. The, the Yeah, the debacle. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite obvious that the ball has has been changing, and that the league doesn't seem to have any kind of handle, or at least won't admit they they know why, or you know have some way of, of, of sort of getting this under control and manufacturing a much more uh, homogenous and repeatable baseball where well, one the, doesn't one fly of the, out of the park and one goes one of dead. The things so. I th-
1: thought was super interesting about Dan's piece was that apparently the idea of a synthetic baseball was floated because something that they could make more consistently and more, you know, across the board reliable. And MLB was like, oh, no, thank you. We'll continue this insanity that we're currently having. Um, And my other favorite part about that article um, was the thing about the weather stuff, which I never even considered. Like if you think about it, like global warming itself may be having an impact on baseballs. Um, cause as, as Dan pointed out really well, the temperature between summer baseball in St. Louis, uh, which I can attest to because I went to a game in St. Louis <laughs> in July and I wanted to die. Um, you couldn't move without breaking into a whole new sweat upon the old sweat you already had. Um, and like the 59, 45 degree kind of weather they were having in, in the end of the season in in the postseason that's a huge difference and it's going to impact the balls absolutely
0: yeah yeah and there's much more just sort of erratic like storm fronts you know changes in pressure and humidity um all that stuff is going to be hard to deal with but yeah i guess at the end like all they can do is, is figure out a way you know a way to make the ball you know the same you know every time like they need to figure out a way to make the ball consistent and uh I don't know, it's tricky, like as a golfer, like making a golf ball, you know, because it's just a sealed thing, there's no threads, you know, it's not stitched together, there's no edges like that. It that kind of thing can be just stamped out and mass produced and and basketballs are pretty much the same way, or, or at least it doesn't matter so much. But um what this really brought to my mind is is the fact that this has probably been going on forever. Like there's probably been like wildly varying batches of baseballs going all the way mm-hmm. back to the history of time because It wasn't even that long ago that they were still, like, handmade, basically. And they're still kind of handmade. You know, there's still, like, some hands-on in the process. It's not just, you know, a machine cranking them out. Um, But, yeah, you know, MLB bought Rawlings a couple years ago, and so now they, you know, they 100% own the problem. And, you know, you bring up the, um, the fact that they didn't want the synthetic ball. I remember Jeff Passon writing an article a couple years ago where MLB had actually asked for a synthetic cover... That would be bright white um, so that they wouldn't have and, and still have some tackiness to it so that they wouldn't have to rub it up and mm. and discolor the baseball um, or, you know, and, and give you know people that opportunity to sort of manipulate it or maybe, you know, kind of scrape at the um, at the lacing and that sort of thing. And that was a couple years ago and I never heard any more about that. And it's like, well, now you have no interest in a synthetic you know, cover or a synthetic baseball, like they were the ones who supposedly asked for it back then. So this the whole story has been lurking under the under the surface for too long. And um, yeah, shout out again to Doctor Meredith Wells and Mister Rob Arthur of the Athletic and Five Thirty Eight, respectively, who did a ton of ton of uh, analysis using you know a fairly small sample of baseballs to really make a good case that this was quite obviously happening, and finally forcing MLB to start you know addressing it instead of just Rob Manfred getting up there, you know. The walls
1: are all the same. Look over
0: here. There is no one behind that curtain. Yep. I don't have time to talk too much about this because I'm busy destroying the game behind yeah. the scenes. <laughs> so yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how, how that's all gonna go. Oh, you know, the other interesting detail that has come out through all this, not just in Dan's piece, but I think Meredith was the one who talked about it the most, is that um, how they changed the, the thread that they used, like the thickness of the thread, I think in 2015 or something, um, to try to get the seams lower and and what it did was that it it, um just blistered everyone's hands up to pieces because yeah everybody kind of probably if you think back you'll remember that season where it just seemed like everyone was going down with blisters like Aaron Sanchez from the Blue Jays I remember a bunch of different guys Chris Archer Marcus
1: Stroman was having those problems absolutely it was a lot of problems that time
0: yeah so yeah was that all was that a mistake or was that um just some some fuckery that went on that where Rawlings just decided, you know, I don't know. We just don't have very many answers. And it's another just another one of those areas where the whole kind of credibility of the game is uh, is in real question right now because one way or the other the ball's gotta be the same um, from time to time out. whether it's the the juicy ball or it's the 2014 normal what we're thinking now of as the normal ball, whatever it is. Um, Whether you want to go back to dead ball and bring the stadium, you know, the fences in, whatever whatever you want to do. It just needs to be uniform, for God's sake.
1: Oh, my God. I did that piece last week, earlier this week, I guess, on the 1901 Tigers to yep. start that series off. And the team leading home run, the team leader in home runs had four.
0: Yep. Four. Yep. Yep. That's incredible.
1: I would prefer not to go back to the dead ball era. Thank
0: you. I like home runs. Yeah, I like I like home runs as well. I would like to see some more balls in play, but that doesn't really have that much to do with it. You know, um, yeah, that has to do with you know pitchers just just having the advantage in terms of technology and all this right now, and just just punching people out at historic rates. So, and I like strikeouts too. So I don't really have too many complaints. I just figure eventually it will just change. You know, there'll, there'll be some yeah, adjustments think... made. The only thing
1: I care about is consistency. Like, don't be switching from the juiced ones to the not juiced ones. Like, make the ball the ball and have that be what we play with all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it just, it sort of feels like, um, oh, God, what was the example I just had? And just forgot. Well, I'm getting old, Ashley. That's the way it goes. Uh, we both are, kid. Oh, don't oh, worry. Oh, it's sort of like instant replay is what I was going to say. When, yeah. You know, everyone wanted instant replay. And then when instant replay came... It made us realize how many mistakes there were in mm-hmm. you know, in uh, in the way the game was umpired, and so now you know it's the same thing with the ball. It was probably always a mess, and now we can measure it. And now everybody's like, "Jesus Christ, it's a you know conspiracy to destroy baseball," and maybe not. You know, maybe <laughs> no one had just even cared until now. You know, no one had even noticed. So, except for you, Justin Berlander, you noticed. Justin Berlander always notices. Yeah, he notices. Justin everything. Berlander is watching you. Yes, he, he, he is for sure uh i do have to remember yeah like it was like two years ago where he was like what the fuck is going on with the baseball and everybody was like oh come on sour grapes dude come on everybody's playing with the same ball well uh he knew yeah once again he was proven right if only he could have stopped uh, the astros from from some of their crimes along the way <laughs> be, a, be even more of a hero instead of being on astros. a team that is now the uh the, the most hated team in baseball I don't know, the Red Sox are angling to get right up there now. Yeah, well, and the Yankees fans are are busily out there making sure that everyone remembers that they suck as well. So Cardinals <laughs> fans
1: also vying for that oh.
0: particular title. Oh my god,
1: Monster. I'm so sorry if you're a good Cardinals fan listening to this, though that would be a weird life choice for you. <laughs> um, but, wow, Cardinals fans on Twitter. Whew, Whew that is...
0: There's some salt there. Yeah. Oh, there is. And then I, I don't know if there's another fan base where there's more of like a, a traditional old guy, like doesn't understand modern metrics, but is furious that, you know, someone is underrated when they hit 280 every year. You know, like like that is the, the, the St. Louis like wheelhouse more than almost any other fan base. They've got oh, tons <laughs> of smart Sabre fans, too, but they've also... Got like a whole bunch of people who have no clue, but like you know, grew up obsessed with the Cardinals and really think they know what's going on. Who will just nag you to death on Twitter? Oof,
1: they just love Yadi, and that's fine. But wow, don't you dare ever, ever tweet about how you think that perhaps Yadi or Molina is not a shoe in first ballot Hall of Famer, because your life will end.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah for Holy sure. Hannah.
1: <laughs> but speaking of like grumpy, grumpy people badgering about things uh can we have a moment for the trevor bauer hour oh 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 is there a trevor bauer (laughs) there is a trevor bauer thing um he said something last week that i agreed with oh yes he had a moment where he was on a radio show and he started talking about how if People really want to like respect and appreciate baseball. It needs to start with announcers, not constantly bemoaning the length of the game or the way the game is played or just like picking on players. And he was like, if you really want to change the game, start in the announcing booth. And I'm like, whoa, Trevor Bauer, A, blowing my mind, and B, it really hurts me to agree with you. Um, Because he's right. Like, There's a huge problem with these old guys in there complaining about how the kids are playing, complaining about a thousand other things and how the game isn't the same as it used to be. And how do you build fandom and new fans when that's what they're listening to at home?
0: Yep, and it's relentless. It's not like when there's a moment, you know, to talk about a specific topic and someone kind of brings up their, you know, their experience back in the 80s. It's like all the time. Like, Jack Morris isn't remotely one of the worst defenders, and he's still terrible. He and Matt mm-hmm. Shepard both, like, just on and on. Like, oh, that's not the way we, we, we would have done it. You know, nobody knows how to, you know, shorten up and just put the ball in play anymore. You know, everybody's about themselves. No one cares about team. Just on and on and on. And, yeah, I mean... The whole point is to sell the game, right? Like, these guys aren't aren't there to be objective. Um, anyone who's, you know, watched these guys have to, you know, try to watch the Tigers and, and pretend it isn't just a god-awful, just, you know, fucking debacle on every level. Um, you know, they're not there to be honest, and yet they cannot help themselves but just, just rag on the game in general in every way all the time. Um, I think Mr. Bauer has another... another of many great points he's made, um, he is almost always right about things. Oh, and shut your face! It's true he is. Let's not let's not get crazy. I mean, here. I've got I've got certain examples where he is horribly, horribly wrong. Yes, and, and he is, and he's a douchebag. Like that's the yes. problem is that he's just kind of a jackass. It's not that he's that wrong about things. He's willing to share his opinion, and he's a pretty knowledgeable guy. But he's, he's just, just kind a of a smarmy shit about it. Yeah, he's just kind of an immature dick. Like, is, yeah, is really what it comes down to. But yes, I have to agree with him there. Um, it was a, it was an excellent point, well made. Thank you. I just I, any good job, Trevor to... Bauer. Thanks for blacking. I hate him, him so much, and yet nice need, to...
1: need to talk about him at every available moment that I can.
0: Yeah. Well, we've talked about this before too, like how it, it's sort of him and Zach Grinke like the two of them that both feel like they might have some kind of a, you know, some kind of a spectrum situation afoot. Yeah, except that Zach Grinky is completely endearing for some reason. <laughs> Zach Grinke's a delight. I love him so much. He's but like I a... think that's
1: because his, his neuroatypical behavior, I think, is more related to himself. Like, it's how he's quiet and withdrawn when it comes to reporters, and he's very, like, direct and very, like, one-word answers to things, whereas you'll definitely get more than one-word answers out of Trevor Bauer, and yeah. you're definitely probably not going to like them. Um, I, I think that there's very much a different approach to how they speak their minds so openly.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And, um, yeah, and, and maybe it's it's something in Zach Granke's looks, too. Like, are you familiar with the comedian Anthony Jeselnik? Yes, that's who he, That he's the Anthony Jezelnik of, of baseball because he will say some dark stuff out of this, <laughs> this very composed, like super, you know, you know, like perfect Scandinavian, you know, like face. <laughs> he's like got these features, you know, he just looks like, um, you know, he could be some kind of a male model in some in some sense. Yeah. And, uh, and but also will just say, like, yeah, the thing no one else wants to say, but like with extreme, you know brevity and precision so yeah it's just it's just that dude but yeah yeah Yeah, both of them are interesting
1: interesting is a very good i think that's why i'm constantly
0: curious as to
1: what trevor bauer is saying because unlike some other now former baseball players who say absurd things at least trevor bauer is for the most part not malicious um, except when it comes to his dealings with people on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but his general approach to life, I think, is less. Um, he's not a bully in that sense. Yeah. I just wish he not. wasn't the literal poster child for anti bullying because he is one on Twitter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He is. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and so there's that kind of. There's so many different ways to be interesting. You know, Daniel Norris is, is a complete other side, whereas, you know, Daniel Norris just seems like. You know, he's, like, the golden retriever of of pitchers. Like, you just love him. Like, he's just, like, the nicest guy. He lives this life we'd all kind of want to. He just seems like, you know, just, like, a super thoughtful... Yeah. Deep, like he's going to go person. and open like
1: some sort of a sustenance farming community mm-hmm. when he retires from baseball and he'll feed the homeless of Michigan and you know his sister will paint beautiful portraits of him and he'll grow an amazing <laughs> beard and walk around in hippie sandals and go surfing in the summers and I feel like that's and then this you know professional baseball will just be something he mentions to his grandkids periodically. Yeah. Oh god, Daniel Norris's future is far more interesting to me than his baseball Career, yeah. I think he's just going to
0: be something so special. Yep, Yeah. He just, yeah. He he's a liver. He he lives life. So just keep living. Yeah, baseball is not going to 100% define him, and yet, you know, he he is working his ass off, and I see videos constantly from him. Uh, he's he's getting after it. So I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna stay optimistic. I'm gonna think this is the year that he's finally been mostly healthy for a year straight and went a when a pitcher finally puts like a whole bunch of nagging injuries behind them and gets a year under their belt, that's when you look the next year, like, okay, this is who you are now. Like whatever you do now is probably going to be, you know, basically what you are. Yep. For that matter, we've got another good, good one in Matt Boyd um, on the, on the same level who is actually already doing all that charity work. (laughs) And I believe he took um, Spencer Turnbull to Africa, to Uganda to look at kingdom home um, this off season. I saw some video of them standing out there. Yep. It was pretty funny to That's see um, cool. Spencer Turnbull's like red-faced Viking visage <laughs> in the middle of Africa, like just <laughs> just waiting for him to just turn into a burnt tomato out there. You know, like yeah, it's pretty hot there, baby, for a uh, for such a pasty for such a, a ginger, yeah. <laughs>
1: What makes me happy about that is that it, it's obvious that that's not just something that he and his wife Ashley did as kind of like a tax break charity yeah. set where right, they started right. it and then left it there and somebody else can run it. It's like they go frequently and are, are there quite a bit and it obviously is very important to them.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, Ashley Boyd seems like a, a, a true badass woman um, who, who basically runs all that herself. Um, yeah. on the on the US side as far and uh, and yeah they seem to have good people um in Uganda working on that so yeah that's that's just a super cool thing and and the type of thing you just don't expect to see from from pro athletes very often no despite the constant you know all my charitable stuff that I do it's usually much more of like someone else does it signing and I, some
1: checks I signed mm-hmm. a few
0: checks which is cool that's fine doing a
1: couple meet and greets with some maybe some less fortunate kids which is great yep um but you the know the it may not be your are day in day out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, to have that much commitment to it is um is pretty pretty awesome. So, yeah. Kudos to them. Um and I guess we should mention that if there is one thing that might, you know, yet happen this off season, it still feels low key like a, a Matt Boyd trade isn't impossible, if only because <laughs> some teams that really better be contending like, you know, I'm looking right at you LA Angels. Mm-hmm. That's have, exactly who I was gonna say. <laughs> still have not done enough to address that pitching staff and give their fan base any real hope that they're that this is gonna be the year where they're you know gonna be in the playoffs. And after you drop you know thirty million a year for whatever it is six seven years on Anthony Rendon, you know they made a couple other small moves, but they you know, signed Joe Madden as their new manager. yeah. yeah. But then beyond that, you know they got Jason Castro to catch. That's a good move. But then on the pitching side, it's like, yeah, you guys, you know, you signed Julio Teran um, and picked up Dylan Bundy cheap. Like, eh, I don't know. Maybe Otani will just will be healthy, hopefully, and just go hand and carry them all the way. But they, they're they still a long way away. So maybe maybe there's still chances for a Matt Boyd trade there. Yeah, they can give us Mike Trout and then everybody will be happy. Mm hmm. I'll settle for um, Brandon Marsh and Jordan Adams and I will throw in Joe Jimenez if need be.
1: and anybody who feels the need to like write commentary to our site manager about me making that like it was a serious (laughs) thing uh, i would very much appreciate you not doing that because i was being sarcastic yeah please recognize the sarcasm no ashley doesn't know anything about baseball she thinks that you can get mike trout from matt boyd (laughs) yeah
0: god girls i'm telling you oh women don't know anything about sports i know don't know anything about baseball commodities trading, ladies. You don't understand
1: the marketplace. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I think we can probably wrap it up there. Like, there's there's just a bunch more, and this is all going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. There's a whole bunch of scandals ongoing. Um, they're all going to be breaking. We're going to find out at some point soon what happens to the Astros for cheating. Um, Which
1: in turn should happen to the Red Sox, one would
0: assume. Yeah, what's going to come down there? Uh, We don't know what's going to happen if, mysteriously, the baseball just isn't doesn't fly as far and is like it was in the postseason. Like, it's just it's just such a crapshoot. All of a sudden, there's all these weird variables um, in the game and no one knows what's going to happen there. And in the meantime, Rob Manfred seems uh, dead set on destroying minor league baseball for no good reason Other than saving each individual franchise like a million bucks. Like, if you're going to knock all these teams out, like, it doesn't even save anybody any money.
1: A million bucks, which will very likely not be redistributed to minor league players. God, no. Uh, On a side note, though, um, if anybody follows Baseball Brit on Twitter, um, Joey, that's his real name, is going to be doing um, a tour of those specific 42 teams that may get cut um as his kind of summer trip next year last year he did one where he went to all 30 MLB stadiums and he, he's going to write a book about it i think or something like that and anyway he's very charming he's from the UK and he fell in love with baseball and now he's totally immersed in it and i think some people like me like him because they think i think he's very earnest and i think he he loves baseball and he just wants to kind of
0: distribute that passion
1: everyone um, else
0: just hates him because he's getting to do <laughs> what they wanted to do <laughs>
1: yeah and that's i think he might have some family money and people are mad about that but um, I think it's cities in which it's played and have a local economy, and I mean that's something that I don't think a lot of papers or media sites, like even the Athletic, I don't think is going to pay for a beat writer to run around to all of these towns and be like, how will losing this team impact you? So I think there is some actual really interesting information to glean from that, and I'm really looking forward to watching what he does.
0: Yep, maybe he can take um, Megan Markle and that fella of hers around and show them how to be reg- show him how to be they're regular show him how to be they're regular to people Canada. in North America. Oh, I know they're moving to Canada, but I'm just saying, I you know, love it. He can be part of showing them how to be like a regular old you know normal person North American. I'm sure. <laughs> Actually, Megan Markle already knows. I'm sure. Yeah, Megan Markle's
1: very well versed in how to live in both America
0: and Canada. Shout out for her for. Taking charge and getting them the hell out of there, because holy. Oh, I pit, love it. The British press suck. God, they This bag of trash over there, Jesus. Uh. I mean, if you had to deal with that much
1: racism, I think you'd want out, too. Um, and, yeah, don't be like, yeah, she knew what she was getting. No, she fell in love and she got married and she had a baby and now she wants some privacy. That's allowed.
0: I know. And who gives a shit about the royal family? She's the fa- fucking famous one who's done things in her life. <laughs> yeah. It's just baffling to be in that situation where you're the you're the successful, beautiful, talented one. And no, you know, no shot at Prince Harry or whatever. But, you know, you're just you're just this random, like, you know. This weird I, vestigial organ on the on the body of the nation. The
1: what I think is funny is that people are all like, no, they're going to make their own money. Like, it's impossible. And, like, she wasn't raking in thousands and thousands of dollars to film episodes of TV and had her own lifestyle blog
0: before this.
1: Yeah. I mean, she had, like, she's a, a stranger to being financially successful.
0: Yep. He's the one who's going to have to figure out how to, how to get a job. I don't know.
1: Yeah, the only thing he's ever done is military.
0: Yeah. So. Which, you know, it's pretty some pretty good experience, and it looked like when he was serving in the military, like, he actually did do things. It wasn't, like, totally ceremonial, like, they actually throw you in and, and you know, I'm sure they protect his unit, but, you know, he still has to kind of do whatever everything everybody else does. So maybe he's got some experience. Obviously, he's well-educated. Um, you know, so, yeah, that's about a wrap, but yeah, all this is going to be kind of going down in the in the next couple weeks, and there, there's going to be punishments laid down, and it's going to reshape, like, how everyone is thinking about the next next season who the favorites are we might see gm's front office types managers god knows who all suspended for various lengths of time and yeah it's just gonna be just gonna be another offseason where the the scandals and the weird you know conflict between mlb owners and the actual game itself um take center stage far too often so yeah we have that to look forward to that kind of sucks but it Bless You Boys, you have better things to look forward to because the Tigers farm system no longer sucks, um, and when you get to like the back end of it, the final 10 guys on our top 30 list, you no longer have people who have literally no chance in hell of ever seeing the major leagues. There are much more interesting players out there with some tools. So you've got like Jose De La Cruz, um, one of the Tigers' biggest international free agent signings at number 30. Hugh Smith, the six 9 right-hander, Wilco Hernandez. There's some interesting folks there. So you can check out those prospect profiles on the site and we'll be rolling those out um, five a week until we are done. Um, and Ashley, of course, continues to just rock it on the YouTube channel. So you want to uh, yeah, break down what's coming yeah. up there?
1: It, it relaunched this week. It took a month off um, because it was Christmas and I was tired. Um, and so we kicked off on um, Thursday with a new video on five tool players um we'll have a lingo lesson of some variety on saturday and then i've got videos coming up on um different retired stadiums on mascots
0: on a whole bunch of other stuff um so lots of stuff to look forward to yep for sure as well as yep the history series um that will be ongoing on bless you boys you can see yep, that out there all right yep you can follow Ashley at 90 feet from home on twitter you can follow me at fiscodoro74 Thanks a lot for joining us. We'll be back shortly um, and, yeah, start uh, start revving up for the season. And uh, well, you'll have to, if you were planning on going to TigerFest, you'll just have to come here to get revved up for the season, I guess. That's just the way it is. <laughs> <it. laughs>
1: you can do it from the warmth and comfort of your own home.
0: Yeah, sounds like a plan. All right, Ashley, have a good night. Good night. Good night. See ya.